Welcome to a special episode of The Gone Jeepin' Show. In episode 12, we take you to the land down under and the B.F. Goodrich East-West Australia Jeep Expedition. Welcome to the 12th edition of The Gone Jeepin' Show. I'm your host, Rick Payway, and your co-host is Tracy Clark, and we have got a special episode for you. We are doing the East-West Australia. We have a couple of guests that will be on with us. Uh, Chris Collard and Rick Payway did this trip on the 50th anniversary of the original trip two years ago, and we've got a historian for the first trip along with us, and this is Vaughn Becker, all the way from Australia. I'm going to let Rick and Chris and Vaughn take over, and I'm going to hush my mouth. Thank you, Tracy. Yeah, it, it was two years ago. It was in 2019 that uh, Chris and I went to Australia and joined this this group with Vaughn, and it, it came about quite in an interesting way. The important thing is what the trip was about 50 years ago, the initial crossing of Australia. Chris? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's awesome to be able to like, fall in the, in the footsteps of, you know, people that did these incredible expeditions years ago but you know having having Vaughn along I mean Vaughn you're kind of like the renowned historian on East West Australia in general whether it was 50 years ago or you know two years ago and I think you know I'm interested um, I think a lot of our listeners would be interested to know about that about you know obviously it was 50 years ago but why was it significant and um, you know the how did they conceive the idea and, and who did it who was involved. So, I mean, yeah, I'm going to, we're going to be putting a lot of this on you, Juan. So glad you joined us. <laughs> That's okay. Chris, um, pleased to, um, pleased to help and pleased to be involved. The um, Simpson had never been crossed by vehicle east to west, had been crossed west to east, which is the easier way because of the slope of the dunes from the sand. And um, a Toowoomba-based adventurer Ian MacDonald always dreamed of crossing the Simpson and it wasn't until a chance meeting with the then general manager of Willie's Motors Australia, Guy Campbell, that it came to fruition. Ian was looking to uh, fulfil his dream of being the first person to cross the Simpson east to west by vehicle and Guy Campbell was looking for a way to promote, promote Jeep vehicles in Australia and in more particularly, the new Overland uh, Jeep, which was unique to Australia and built in the Brisbane factory. Yeah, from what I understand, yeah, so they were assembled in the in the Brisbane factory, but they were brought. Most of it was brought in on pallets. <laughs> yes, yes, Chris, that's that's right. Uh, CKD form, completely knocked down. Uh, was the most jeeps, but a lot of more of the components of the Overlander were actually built in Australia in Brisbane. The chassis itself was built there. Uh, the front panels, the front clip was imported. Uh, so it was very much a mix mash of Australian and American components. But yes, the, the Jeep factory in or the Willys Motors Australia factory in Brisbane was an assembly factory more so than a manufacturing factory. Like you said, it was specific to the Australian market. That's one thing that we never got here was the Overland model. Uh, even though 70 some years later, that's, that's the buzzword now. 
That's right. Uh, they did import some to, or export some to uh, New Zealand, not a great deal, but some did go over there, but primarily for the Australian market. They were wow. a great concept. They were based on uh, the CJ6. The wheelbase was extended to 110-inch, and then you could basically have any configuration you want from a panel van to a station wagon to a tray-back ute or pickup, I think you call them. You know, you, you, they would build whatever you wanted. Yeah, well, Australia had some actually very unique um, Jeeps. And, you know, it's, maybe at some time in the future, we should do a podcast just on the cool vehicles that we didn't see in the United States that, that you guys built down there. But what was, um, so the vehicles that, that they were using were the Overland um, from Willie's Motors in Brisbane. And uh, about that conversation, I mean, they were looking at pitching or, you know, uh, Jeeps. How, were, how was Jeep doing at that time? Because there was a, you know, this was, you know, obviously throughout the 60s. And how were they doing in Australia? The sales weren't huge. Um, Toyota were really starting to make huge inroads into Land Rover's territory. Like the Land Rover was the go-to vehicle normally. <clears throat> Jeep was just a bit of more of a uh, fill-in market, niche market and that sort of thing. Their, their numbers compared to Toyota and, and Land Rover were minuscule. You know, they, they were very, very small numbers. But the factory, um, basically, the policy was from the states was to build these factories in overseas locations and then back off and let those factories run themselves. They, there was very little interference from head office. And uh, they basically, that's why they could do what they did. And uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm surprised they survived as long as they did, given the numbers they sold. They did have very good support from the Queensland government and other government departments because the Queensland government obviously uh, wanted the factory in Brisbane for all the obvious reasons. So their tenders for four-wheel drive vehicles were largely um, given to Willys, which kept them alive, I believe. Well, that's one of the taglines of uh, Willys overall was the sun never sets on the mighty Jeep because it was made all the way around the world in quite a few companies, even though they were not under, like said, direct control of Willys or Kaiser or anybody else but they were you know, autonomous companies out there doing their thing, which was kind of cool. Very unique in the car world, I'd imagine. Yeah, very, very. So you, you, you mentioned the idea was to cross the Simpson, and I don't think anybody really in America knows what the Simpson is. I sure didn't until I started investigating it. And it's actually one of the neatest deserts in the world. And... I don't know the actual landmass, but it's huge. But not when you consider the immense area that Australia has. Do you got some figures on that? I haven't got any actual figures in front of me, but it uh, is the largest parallel sand dune desert in the world, I believe. It's one of those deserts that can lure you into it. But if you take it for granted and don't cross your eyes and uh, cross your uh, T's and dot your eyes, it will kill you. That's a given. Actually, yes. um, we, we can talk a little bit later in the first trip with Ian and the crew went. They run into some troubles right at the end of it, and uh, they were lucky to, to get out of it as well as they did. 
not that they were underprepared or not that they took it lightly. It's just that's the way circumstances can go. When things go wrong in a desert, they go wrong in a big way. Right, exactly, especially in a, in a real desert. And for people that don't know what desert is, of course, it's lack of rainfall, but the Simpson is sand dunes, like uh, Vaughn said. And they're, they're parallel, they run north-south. The trip across goes straight towards the west. So you're going up the face and then down this, the other side, which is a lot more difficult than going the other way. So who came up with this concept of taking the jeeps across? How did that work out? Ian McDonald can take the blame for that. <laughs> it's something he wanted to do. And he received exceptionally good um, support from Willys and Motors through Guy, through then um, Guy Campbell, who was the general manager. Um, Ian, Ian, it's got Ian's DNA all over it. And, but without Guy Campbell's support from Willys Motors, it wouldn't have happened. Ian so, so said... Ian. Ian always said that there were there was no until the Willies Overlander, and it's Overlander, not Overland, was produced. There was no vehicle in Australia capable of doing that trip. You needed lightness, you needed manoeuvrability, and you needed an exceptional power to weight ratio, and that's what the Overlander provided with the three point six or two hundred and twenty one cubic inch Ford. Falcon motor that powered those things there and Ian said when he first drove uh, the Jeep and he actually test drove the prototypes for Jeep he did he was acted as a test driver for them and uh, he said as soon as he felt and drove those Jeeps he knew that that was a vehicle that would cross the desert you know I'd, I'd love to uh, I'd love to get into actually the technical specifications on the vehicles and how they prepped them but first, I'd like to know about the team. How did they come up? How did Ian come up with his uh, his core team for these two trips? Basically, word of mouth. Uh, he he knew people like uh, there was Ian was the leader, and he was the undisputed leader. Then there was a photographer, John Eccleston, who um, lived not given. Remember, these people lived within a a cricket ball's hit of each other from the Darling Downs. So they all knew each other. Um, then Ian uh, got on to John. John was on board. Then there was a, a Lance Coburn who had a botanical garden, like it was a, actually a working farm that was converted to a botanical garden, huge. And uh, so he was a given because he could record all the plant life and all that. There was Malcolm Wilson from Dolby who um, – was invited along and he looked after the um, the animals and recording uh, all their life and that. There was um, uh, Gordon Gant, who um, was a bit of a, who was a farmer, but he was a, a, a also quite an accomplished um, cardiographer and, and surveyor, uh, albeit a amateur one. So he acted as their guide with the with the stars and so forth. And then Willie's Motors Australia allowed their chief mechanic, Bob Winham, to go with them to act as the, the um, mechanic for the team. So there were the six um, chaps who went along in the three Jeeps. And the three, three Jeeps were the two overlanders, one a tray back, one a van, and then 
again, unique to Australia, a CJ5 Sportster, which I think was equivalent to the American tuxedo pack. So the trip, actually, I mean, it was, you know, we look at this as, you know, a lot of us just, you know, focus on the vehicles and traveling across some amazing place. But this was a biological, zoological, it's more of a science, almost a scientific expedition to actually see what's out there. Exactly. And Malcolm uh, Wilson did produce a book, which was quite successful and still available today. The information that he recorded uh, has proven invaluable to environmentalists and people researching the desert and that sort of thing. So, yes, it, it was there, – there was no monetary gain in all this. Basically, they, they, they did it out of their own pockets. Uh, Willie's Motors supplied – yeah, vehicles and that sort of thing. Shell provided the fuel. Dunlop provided the tyres. But it was all pretty much done. These chaps had jobs. They went and did this and then come home and went back to work again uh, after promoting it. Um, but Yeah, this is after being basically famous for crossing the Simpson Desert first time in a vehicle. Well, yeah. Actually, they weren't famous. Because whilst they recorded it in a film called Jumpy, Land of Spinifex, nobody knew about this. Even when the 50th was coming around, I wrote to some of the people who I would expect it would be all over this, like major magazines within Australia, and um, nobody knew about it. It, 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 it was a, a brief moment in history where these people recorded what they did, and then it just died. And that was one of the whole things about it. I wanted to make sure that Ian McDonald and his party were recognised for what they did, and I hopefully w we did that. But um, the vehicles were, were hand-built. The three vehicles were hand-built in um, the Brisbane factory, and Ian actually worked there for three or four months alongside Bob, Bob Winham on the assembly line, and... Uh, well, it was a bit of a problem because the s slow build of these things held up the assembly line, so there was some, uh, uh, yeah, some harsh words between the assembly line production foreman and that sort of thing at times, but they were uh, pretty much hand-built, and Ian was involved in building them. So when they, um, Vaughn, when they were setting this up, and we're, we've talked about the Simpson, it's pretty good. I mean, they went from Birdsville, was was a town and it was established into a stock route, if I remember. And they went all the way to Old Adato, um, across the northern side of the Simpson. Um, so what about, tell us about like logistics. I mean, you've got a huge distance to travel. Vehicles burning a lot of fuel, you know, water is an issue that desert, I understand is, you know, very, very dry. Okay, yeah. They started off in Toowoomba on the first trip, and then they, they drove to Birdsville. They had a little bit of a trouble uh, with the vehicles. They broke the back shock absorber mounts off. So they redesigned and modified and re-welded them up in Birdsville, which um, put them behind schedule. Then they travelled almost directly north to um, the Moncuni Lakes area, which we didn't do. They are quite a bit east of where we set off at Beachcomber. We didn't do that part of the desert because of our logistics. But they had no support whatsoever in any shape, form, or manner. The, you know, Guy Campbell told them, and probably not so jokingly, that if they got into trouble, they were on their own. Each of these Jeeps 
carried, believe it or not, 140 gallons of petrol and 80 gallons of water. Now, you just imagine those jeeps trying to get up those sand dunes with those weights on it. You know, they did a, did a fantastic job. When they got over to Old Andado, they had about 20 gallons of fuel left and they were completely deleted, depleted their water supplies. They, um, the vehicle stood up extremely well. The only major problem, and it was a major problem, the freewheeling hubs that they were using were a prototype design and they put them on, but they were supposed to have the original flanges, front axle flanges, with them. For some reason, they were left behind in Brisbane for the three vehicles. The hubs failed, and they had to leave a Jeep in the desert and mix and match parts until they got to old Endado. Then they pinched some parts off a... um, old wartime army jeep and went back into the desert and got the other jeep but that that was um that was their real only major um mechanical failure the other failure that they had was the huge fuel tanks were supposed to be treated with a liner inside as is pretty normal but guy campbell heard that a chap by the name of Maguire and moncrief had got a Land Rover, and they were going to leave from Monkaira up uh, now between, like in the Baduri area, Western Queensland, and across the desert. Guy panicked and thought that Land Rover were going to beat them to it. So he brought the whole thing forward by six weeks, which meant that the lining in these fuel tanks had not had time to cure. And all trip they had the lining coming through the fuel lines and they were having to clear the fuel lines, dismantle the carburetors, get this out of it. So um, that was not a fault of the Jeeps. That was a a person fault. Uh, They would have been better off not lining the fuel tanks. Wow, that's a kind of a bit, that's that's like a really big problem when you get out in the middle of nowhere. And I want to backtrack a little bit. We're talking about the Simpson Desert. And you're talking about the largest collection in the world of parallel dunes with the north-south running dunes. And from what I recall, there are 1,100 of them. <laughs> I think we walked <laughs> up every one, didn't we? <laughs> and just, just as a little aside, we were in the, um, in the JL with you, I think. And um, we went up a dune, and it was a three-stage dune up another one, another one, which are extremely difficult to get up. Ian McDonald was in with us, and that JL just went up that dune like it wasn't there. And Ian told us that that was a dune that in the old Jeeps with their skinny little six, uh, 750-16 road track major tyres and all their weight, he said it would have taken them at least two hours to get up that dune and they would have had the ladder all the way. That was the difference in the vehicles. Yeah, just incredible. Yeah, and I, and um, you just the other thing I wanted to bring up is you mentioned navigation. They didn't have GPS. You know, they didn't have an, an iPhone that has all these little you know electronic toys on it, and some communicators or in reach. I mean, all of this stuff that we have at our disposal. 
they were navigating by dead reckoning and were they using did he have a sextant were they shooting no i i I think uh gordon just had very basic equipment uh there was no sextant or anything like that but they had aerial photographs or aerial maps cadastral maps and they relied on them heavily um given to remember that gordon gant and ian mcdonald particularly and Lance Coburn were very experienced bushmen. And this was when, you know, bushmen knew how to navigate the land simply by looking at it and looking at the sun, knowing. They, they just basically just headed off and headed west until they got to the other side. Wow. I don't think we would have done that. <laughs> I mean, I can attest to what it looks like from the air because I followed the entire trip via satellite map and I, I made the track. So uh, it was, it was very interesting trying to find the two bushes and rock where Rick's blue dot was sitting. And one of the things that um, I want to tell those that won't be watching any of the video these aren't your typical sand dunes. They're, they're covered with bits and pieces of vegetation. So, you know, you, you may have the idea that you're just crossing sand and it's just sand, sand, sand. Well, it's sand covered with vegetation. So it, it's a little bit different than what you may be imagining in your mind. Yeah, the and that also makes it more difficult to navigate and drive as well because... Yeah. On a regular sand dune without vegetation, you can just go and, and somewhat. On these sand dunes, you actually had to pick a line and weave around the spinifex bushes and everything else. So it wasn't just hammer down and go. You actually had to think about what you were doing. And uh, just want to let people know the width of the Simpson Desert alone, uh, what, some 400 miles, I think, Chris? Ish. Yeah. Depends on where you start measuring it. I mean, so it's, it's a long way. Yeah. <laughs> right. But where we went and where, where the original trip went, it's it's a long piece. It's not a 50-mile drive, simple as that. And, in fact, we were saying there were two trips, right, originally? Yeah. It took the um, the, bird, the Birdsville to Moncuni to Old Endado, uh took this team, the original team, 11 days. They were basically in the in the desert for eleven days. It took us what seven was it? Why were there two trips? Okay, the the first trip was just a shakedown. Uh, they left from Toowoomba and then went out and crossed the desert to Alice Springs to prove that they could do it. They then drove back to Toowoomba and uh, got back in May. They did this in July six in a, in April sixty nine. Then in July. They started off from Cape Byron, which is the easternmost point of Australia, again drove to Birdsville, and then they went on a more northerly aspect of the desert, up through the Bullia and across the top of the uh, Simpson Desert and, and uh, come back in that way rather than cross the dune section again. So they, they crossed the Simpson, but they just crossed it in a different way, ended up in um, Alice Springs, and then went from Alice Springs and the Aboriginal corporations or land councils of the day wouldn't give them permission to go straight across the desert to the west coast of Australia. So they had to go up 
via what we would probably now know as the Tanamai Road or in that area and got up to Broome and then come down the coastline to Steep Point, which is the westernmost point of Australia, and then to Perth and then home via the Nullarbor Plains. Now, the reason to do this was, A, to cross the Simpson Desert, first of all, uh, east to west and be the first to do that, and also to use the Jeeps in the promotion to cross Australia east to west and then use that in, in Willie's promotions. They also carried mail with them and uh, they delivered this mail to the post office in, in Perth. They carried it from uh, Brisbane and it's believed that that was the first time that mail had been carried all the way by vehicle across Australia. Now, Ian goes to great uh, lengths to point out because every every now and again you run into somebody who disputes what they did now the evidence is there they did it but ian said the crucial thing to remember about their trip of crossing the simpson is that they never went north nor south of the 25th or 26th parallels and that's important to remember so if you find those lines on the map they stayed within those two lines, and that had never ever been done before. Yeah. Even on the yeah. or even on the west to east trips. Yeah, that, that's another thing that made it an epic, epic journey. Because back in 1969, there wasn't. I mean, there's still not much out in the Simpson, but even in surrounding the Simpson, the rest of the outback of Australia, there was even less uh, <laughs> supplies. There were less people. There was less of yeah. everything. It's in the what people would say, the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So, with that being said, what, what were some of the, the biggest challenges with, like, the people and, and the equipment and the logistics and all that stuff? You had could, nothing to start with, and yet they made it across. The biggest problem, uh, I think, turned out to be water. They, they did run out of water, and they, they were in trouble. But fortunately, they, they got to Old Endato in time. I think the the biggest logistical problem was simply they had no idea of what was ahead of them. Nobody had done it before, and they didn't have anyone in an aeroplane scouting for them, which had been done on other crossings coming west to east. Um, that sort of thing. So it was the great unknown, and knowing that every morning when they woke up, they had no idea as to what they were going to come across but one day they they achieved uh, i think it was a half a mile because they couldn't get around something so they come back but they wouldn't camp in the same spot they moved on about a half a mile <laughs> so they felt the day hadn't been entirely wasted but that's uh, that's how you go but no simply the great unknown of what what was out there that was their greatest challenge the team got along remarkably well uh, ian uh, ian is a leader there's just no question of that. And um, several of the other crew were ex-servicemen from World War II. And that. so they were used to these conditions and they were used to working uh, with people in adverse conditions in with uh, um, uh, limited supplies and that sort of things. So I doubt whether he could have put a better crew together. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And remind us again, how many days did it take them when they – rolled out of birdsville before they got to, they were in the desert for 11 days 11 days yeah 
That's awesome. Yeah, with yeah, nothing, that's, that's, that's true adventure. Yeah. And you remember that, you know, the, now you know why they had the 140 gallons of fuel tank. <laughs> and that's, I'm that's just thinking there were some hoops and hollers when they came over that last dune and they saw <laughs> Andato sitting down there in the valley. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, they were lucky boys. One of the things that happened was that the desert was actually in reasonable condition and the spinifex was uh, flowering. And when they got to the, the western side of the desert towards Old Endado, the spinifex flowers started to clog up the radiators of the jeep. So not only were they short of water, they were desperate to keep the jeeps cool. And so they were using very precious uh, supplies of water to try and stop the jeeps from boiling and try and clean, keep these radiators clean. And uh, they run out of water and they came to where Ian believed there was an old well and a, and a windmill. And when they got there, it had all been dismantled and decommissioned and there was no water there. So they were now in dire straits, but they, they moved on. He knew roughly about what direction old Andado should be. So they headed off in that direction and about six or seven miles from the decommissioned well, they came to a brand new one, just recently equipped in that. They, they were saved. They were saved. It's yeah. kind of hairs. Yeah. Yes. It's scary stuff, isn't it? Well, it they is. made it, and that's incredible, and then they faded, unfortunately, faded into obscurity. Yeah. Simple as that. Which Gee, is that extremely sad. That annoyed me. And yeah. if in some way I've managed to get the McDonald trips across Australia and across the Simpson into the history books, then I've done my job. Yeah, absolutely. So let's speaking of that, let's let's talk about um, 50 years later. So guys, we've got uh, Ben Davidson on the call. Uh, Vaughn, you know Ben very well. And uh, for our viewers. Tracy's going to bring him in and uh, want to make some introductions. So we've moved forward 50 years, maybe 48 years. And, uh, and then we've got, you know, this epic 2019 trip that is in the conceptual stages. We got Ben on the call. Welcome Ben. How are you? Hi, how are you going? Yeah, I'm well. Doing great. You're, you're here with, uh, of course, Tracy and myself and uh, Chris and Vlom, but you're also with our team members, Liam Lafferty and Greg Henderson. Hey, Ben. Hey, Young. Many. Good. Hi, Ben. Hey, Young. Super glad you could join us, Ben. Good to see you. Um, so, you know, moving forward into this, you know, we did this this trip two years ago in 2019 it was uh, became known as uh, it is known as the bf goodrich east west australia jeep expedition but i was completely unaware of i'm just like you know as vaughn said i'm one of the public off-roader guys out here that had no idea about east west australia and ian and john's trip back in 1969 so you know john all right vaughn why don't you know, maybe you could share with everybody how the idea came about to like recreate this and then, you know, how Ben got involved and how I got involved. Cause I was almost like a treasury player in this. Yeah. I'll start in then I, Ben's probably got more information on that side of than I have, but I knew about the trip from day one. I was working in Western Queensland when it actually took place. 
so I knew about it. Um, and also my father was working in a Willie's garage um, and I remember seeing promotional material come through after the event and then it just died. I always wanted to catch up with the team and to my chagrin, uh, eternal chagrin, I, I never did. I just didn't make that final step and Ian McDonald lived only a few hundred metres a few hundred metres away from my brother's place in Toowoomba and I just never stepped across the road basically. But when I, so, but I always wanted to do something, and I did lend Michael Bowen some material, and in it was a um, Voyager magazine that had the trip there, and then I, I believe Michael sort of picked his ears up on that, and in the meantime, I put some concerted effort into trying to find the members, and I put ads in the papers, newspapers, and things like that, and found them literally living, you know. A, a three hours drive away from me so we made uh, those contacts then uh, I asked them would they agree to us doing something to commemorate what they did and also ensure that more people knew about they did and Ian McDonald is a very careful fellow and he rang a, a ex-employee of Willie's Motors and um, said to him hey a bloke by the name of Vaughan Becker has rang me about this trip. Is he all right? And I said, Ian, you're talking to Vaughan. <laughs> so he, he rang me and not the chap that he thought he was talking to. But anyway, it went like that. And I, I put this, this thing together. And um, if you've got it there. And yeah. eventually it went to Ben. And then pretty much uh, yeah, Ben took over pretty much from that stage uh, because they had the ability to do it. I was starting to get out of my depth because I never, it was getting bigger than what I felt I could handle from Truman. And I, and you know, uh, I am extremely uh, pleased that Ben and Jeep Action Magazine and Michael Bowen came on and, and took it over. So I'd really like to pass it up over to Ben at this stage. And yeah, thanks again, Ben, for what you did. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that intro. And yeah, for all of our, our listeners, um, Ben is the publisher and editor-in-chief of Australia's premier Jeep magazine. It's called Jeep Action. Awesome publication. Um, you can find it online, on social media. And uh, Ben, super glad you're here with us today. Take it from there, man. Okay. So basically what had happened is um, Vaughn had uh, reached out to Michael, um, and Michael, Michael and I were just changing. Changing. Michael was basically becoming editor at large, and and sort of, you know, stepping back from the role. So it took a little while and a little bit of back and forth between myself and Vaughn and a few other people to see to see how much interest and how much groundswell we could get here. But to be honest, like it, Jeep is a big thing here but it's not as big as what it is, say, globally everywhere else. So it basically became my focus to then sort of go, well, hang on, Australia is as big as any country out there, and this is a pretty epic trip, and the only way I could get daylight on it was basically bring it to yourself and Rick and, you know, and taking it that next step and putting a global focus on this because, you know, this is crazy and people perish in that desert, you know. 
and, and these guys did something that no one had done. So that's sort of why between that, the love of Jeep, like we all have, and that passion, that's sort of what drove me to, to sort of taking it to that next level. Yeah, I remember, uh, I remember when we talked at the uh, SEMA show in Las Vegas in 2018, I believe it was, right? We'd just yes. been on in correspondence with each other when we finally met, and you brought up, it's like, yeah, hey, Chris, uh, we're thinking about putting together this trip next year across the across Australia from the east to the west, and you're like, think you might be interested in going? And I was like, oh, heck yeah, just let's book that one right now. <laughs> How could you not be interested, right? <laughs> yes. Whether yeah. or not it's possible, of course. <laughs> You know, it was a it was a brilliant idea that Ben came up with. So, uh, the way you know putting things together, Ron throws this idea out to Michael and Ben. They go, hmm, maybe we can do something more than just a celebration in the park with a birthday cake to celebrate fifty years of this incredible crossing. Well, how about if we put a trip together? And that's basically what you did, Ben. Well, that's yeah, that's that's definitely what we did. Um, I mean, it was it was. I, I leveraged, I leveraged buddies, um, you know, use whatever I could to get, to get as many Jeeps together as we could. And, um, basically convinced, convinced good friends to let perfectly, you know, strangers drive their Jeeps. And, you know, that was, <laughs> I think Paul is still cleaning dust out of that TJ. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was an epic it was an epic adventure it was you know it was something that you know it was a once in a lifetime i mean i remember that conversation with you rick it's like how long can you give me and you go how long do you need and i'm like okay <laughs> well i learned learned a long time ago that you have to take advantage of those situations because they may not come again so yeah took, see and, and exactly on that Exactly on that. Um, 2018 SEMA, Ben actually asked me if I was interested in it when we were standing in front of the, uh, the J18 that I built. And I just let it die. I never followed through with Ben to find out if I was involved on the trip. And now hindsight's 2020. I missed out. So, uh, you know, exactly what you're saying there, Rick, you got to jump on it when it comes. Right. Yeah. And that that's one of the one of the things that I think that uh, Chris was saying, yeah, well, how long do you need? Sure, of course, you know. And then, of course, Chris started talking more in depth with 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 Ben and getting things set up. And finally, I think Chris didn't you and Ben talk all about the corporate partners you tried to do, and like Ben's trying to do the vehicle prepping and, and getting vehicles themselves. You know, we did. And, you know, Ben and I talked um, originally, I thought he was asking me if I wanted to come down and do this cool trip, which I think he was. Right. <laughs> and then as that conversation developed, it was like, OK, well, these are also, you know, how do we really push the needle on on letting the world know what, we, what we're doing and what we did and what these guys, what Ian and his team did 50 years ago? It's like, you know, we can have it, you know, I mean, my background is kind of an international off-road media thing. So we started talking and it was like, you know, we, you know, how, how big can we make this thing from a media standpoint? 
Um, and to do that, I mean, we could go do the trip, but to really do that right, we needed to bring in um, international media, um, people that really you know put out a lot of different big outlets. They put out a lot of uh, content in different places. Um, so that kind of developed into, okay, we're going to need, you know, plus fuel's expensive and we're driving like 6,000 kilometers. Uh, so then you can chime in on this anytime, but it's like, we're like, okay, we got to figure out how to help pay for this thing. Cause we're not independently wealthy guys. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was definitely part of it. The other thing was we wanted to keep, we wanted to keep it connected to the history as well. Like we had, we had plenty of other options. We had plenty of other people that were willing to water it down or do, you know, sort of put their own spin on it. But we wanted to, I mean, Chris, Chris was a stickler for being a purist with it, which I was as well, but it was, it just had to make one good business sense, but two, it had to, it had to be something that would um, have impact and, and have reach. And that's, I mean, that's even why we, you know, had Tracy involved as well. Like, man, the socials and the things that she did for us and, you know, the, the things that, you know, we, we could not have had a better team with her and even Madge as backstops, you know, willing to do all those silly hours when we when we had that two seconds of phone reception and, you know, we'd shoot through all those socials and things like that. But the actual vehicle selection and things like that and, it was it was really we didn't want to sell out to it to anybody in particular and we sort of want we wanted to showcase the whole range so that's why we had basically uh, TJ right through to JL like we had we had a good selection of vehicles yes I would have loved to have had a, a flatty or a, a CJ and we had a flatty for a day out there but right um, Brad from Max Tracks showed up and met us out at. Uh, at uh, Birchville, yeah. yeah, yeah, big red, yeah. But the the whole thing with the um, like putting vehicles together, or you like my my t my TJ for example, like we ended up have to basically pulling the pin on that in Brisbane, and by you know reshuffling, we we <laughs> lost we lost what a, an extra day just repacking and. Yeah resorting out everything and that was that was day one <laughs> i mean it wasn't for me and you me and you like for me it was actually like month two but um uh, <laughs> putting vehicles together but for us it was um you know it was a big deal so i mean the cj that i wanted to bring it wouldn't it wasn't as reliable as what that tj was and that wasn't reliable in the end so and i think that's really pretty important for crossing the entire continent you know to 3,000 miles, much less 400 miles of desert, you have to have a durable vehicle that you feel confident. It has to be reliable. Otherwise, like I said, your your run jeep died at the beginning of the trip. That was fine. At least we didn't have it in the mid, you know, in the middle of the desert where we would have had some real problems. Yeah, and what what our listeners and viewers don't understand is home base for the entire trip before you even got to Cape Byron was Melbourne. So you still had to get from Melbourne all the way up to Brisbane and to actually start the actual trip. So, I mean, there, there were challenges just getting to the starting point. 
Yeah, right. and that, that distance is of something like what, say, driving from Florida to New York City or so. I mean, when, when you look at Australia, it's as big as the U.S. ish. So, what we did is drove from New York to L.A. Except there's a giant desert in the in the middle, not like Kansas, of course, but it's, it's still, still a desert. We're you were saying, William, he didn't say Iowa. Ah, uh, no, we love Iowa. I'd be nervous there. So to so, give uh, I just jump give our listeners a little background. Yeah, we had to drive from Melbourne to, to Brisbane just to start um, start the, the trip. We picked up uh, some of our team along the way, but we had an issue with uh, with Vince Jeep with the, the TJ, and um, yeah, it started um, getting a lifter knock. Is that right, Rick? And Rick was crawling underneath it. And we we're all listening to it, and we we're checking to see what might you know our options might be. Um, and at the end of the day. Uh, it was running, but the decision was like, no, we are not going to compromise or jeopardize you know, the entire trip by bringing something that we're not sure of. And we also figured that we had barely but enough room to put all the team members and all the gear and all the food and fuel and most importantly, water into the remaining vehicles. So Ben, why don't you tell us about how many vehicles and how many people? Okay, so... We had two J TJs. It was down to one. We had two JKUs. Um, we had we had the, the JK the JK eight with the uh, LS in it, and then we had the uh, the JL. Um, the JL. Yeah. So I mean that was that was it. Team members. So Paul provided his TJ, and he drove his JK. Chris Chris was in the uh, JL. I was in my GK, I mean my JK, and we had McMullins McMullins in the um, in the J, in the JK8. So and then basically we that was sort of the how the vehicles are stacked, and then we had to stack in Vaughan and uh, who else do we have? Derek Redmond. Derek Redmond, Justin. From China, and we had um, Sue Mead. Sue Mead as well. So two originals, John and the two and originals. So Which it was probably the coolest part is that we were able to get two of the original members to go with. Now, who yeah, pulled that off? Was that you, Ben, or Vaughn? Vaughn, well, Vaughn and Vaughn and I discussed it a lot, and. I don't think they expected it to be the way it was, did they, Vaughn? It was a bit of a surprise to them, but once they really knew what was happening, they weren't going to be left behind either. <laughs> but uh, um, I think they 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 were comparing it with the original trip, and in the end of the day, there was no comparison uh, compared to how hard they did it. And whilst oh, yeah. It was hard enough for us. It was nothing compared to what they had to put up with. And I'm thinking that if they were thinking, you know, we're going to cross the Simpson like we did 50 years ago, like, yeah, that sounds really cool, but tell us how it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, that, after all, they were, you know, they're in their 80s, you know. They were, yeah. 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 Well into they're their not 80s. not spring chickens, but they sure acted like it. So, you know, with, with that addition, we had a lot of people and a lot of vehicles. Yeah, so, you had 13 people. And five jeeps, 
and only one of those held was capable of hauling two people. So right, Jake was two. I I I I hope. I mean, I I saw a little. You know, anybody that's watched Pigpen or uh, Peanuts and they see Pigpen with the little trails coming up. I hope you all had really good deodorant on that crossing across the Simpson because that was tight quarters. That was. We were all packed in, especially again with with. Uh, well, talking about logistics, the water bladders we took laid down underneath the rear seats, right? I think that's well, where they were. Well, no, we put them, we actually ended up putting them in poles. So Paul had Paul had the oh, water yeah. bladder. Because uh, right, we had to keep modifying things because of the yeah. loss of one sheet. So originally, Paul and I were just going to have a vacant back seat, one, one, one single seat up and have the water bladders down the other side. But it became it became one of those things that with this reshuffle we stuck the two water bladders in his jeep and he had 400 liters of water that's in, a lot of weight yeah so that's 400 yeah, kilos in front of those in front really of the heavy, heavy water bladder my goodness that poor little jeep was just it was uh, squatting down so then i had four people in mind but then i also had all the tools and um, spare parts, and then and then that boxes of food, and then we utilized the racks on the both back of mine and Paul's those uh, those racks on the back. So we were we were we were carrying a lot of weight. Well, fortunately, we had good corporate sponsors, and that's always important on on a trip like this. Uh, we had uh, obviously title sponsor was BFG, which. Hence the title of the BFG East-West Australian Crossing Expedition. Still can't say that correctly, Chris. Say it again. The VF Goodrich East-West Australia Jeep Expedition. There you go. Thank, thank you, BFG. I don't, I don't think we had a single tire issue that I remember. Regardless, we also had the other sponsors, Ben. Um, the gas tanks, we had those. Who else? Yeah, so we had LRA for the long-range tanks. We had... I mean, Jeep Connection, Henry. I mean, he gave us he gave his great brand he new JL. <laughs> he gives a Jeep. Uh, <laughs> we had to give it back. Try, we show up to Henry's shop, and he hands me the keys to this brand new JL. It's like completely decked out, fitted, and he and Ben have kind of gone through the, the logistics, uh, you know, short list of all the equipment that we needed on it. And I'm like, I fell in love with that guy at, right then. I was like... <laughs> He's on my Christmas list. <laughs> so Ben, tell us, you were you were um, you were pretty much in charge of the um, you know prepping the rigs. So like winches and you know refrigeration. Yeah, so we, had worn, we had worn. We had Dometic. We had JW speaker. We had best top. Um, I mean, everybody. Even um, we had Terraflex. We had, and I mean those those Falcon shocks. I'm still running them, and they they. You know, they don't miss a beat. I'm pretty happy with them. And I'm still running the original set of tires and I'll put a lot of miles on them as well. So um, we had um, Dometic, um, we had Warn, uh, sorry, I said Warn, Max Tracks. We had, um, I'm just trying to think who else, Darchi. Well, I remember, Ben, that um, like uh, three or four days before I was ready to get on a plane and head your way, Right, um, this huge box, actually like three 
huge boxes came in from factor 55. So Mike at factor 55 was like, didn't have time to ship it, you know, your way. So it's like, he shipped it to me. So I had like one of my carry-ons was like 70 pounds of like, you name it, recovery gear, the winch hit thimbles and fair leads. And uh, that was exciting. (laughs) We we had support Jeep Australia as well. So we definitely, we definitely, um, for something that was put together as quickly as it was, um, we were, we were definitely looked after. Well, speaking of quickly, yeah, it did, everything did come together rather quickly because here was it had to be 2019 because obviously this 50 years and 69, etc. So you were really under the gun to get a lot of this stuff done. So tell tell us about your planning and. Planning the so, how much fuel and where we are going to stop and where we're going to stay because you're so, the boots on the ground guy there. That's yeah, what so, you had to start to do. So I, I'd spoken to a lot of people like Emu, who was our, who was one of our fuel guys who helped mm-hmm. us out. He's the one sitting there in the bright yellow shirt above Tracy's head or right yellow um, jacket above Tracy's head right there. Um, we had we had intel from him and quite a few other people, even Vaughn and. We wanted to sort of stick to as much and get as cover as much as the original route as we could. Um, we had to make some changes there due to due to some organic beef and a few other things that were sort of um, <laughs> needed to happen. There was a pro- there was a land there was some land that they crossed through, but unfortunately now the um, the farmers are running organic beef and they're not allowed to have vehicles on their land. So um, it's a it's a specification. I didn't make it. <laughs> well, um, I think, uh, let me jump in here. I think, you know, the, the logistics side of it was, you know, it came together, together fast. And like you and I were on the phone constantly and on, um, I don't, we weren't on Zoom calls because we didn't know about Zoom back then. But yeah, I mean, just as far as like the distance and, and what the route was going to look like. And, um, you know, fuel was a big thing. Just trying to figure out how much fuel we were going to burn not just driving, but driving over, you know, 800 sand dunes in a row. Well, there's that and the fact that in the end, we, we did a big round trip. Like for us, it, it didn't, we did that trip, but then we had to get home. So we had to get those vehicles back from WA. So that in itself is another adventure. I suppose we will cover another day. That's, that's another day. <laughs> um, like that, that, that was crazy. But the actual, the actual thing, we we're, we're pretty spot on, which was, which was, and I think we even had, we, we still had a lot of fuel on board once we got through the desert. So, the, the extra calculations and other bits and pieces that we'd taken into account, we we didn't undershoot, which which is good. I mean, that's that's the um, dilemma I would like to still be rolling into town with half a tank, rather than um, <laughs> not rolling into town. So, I mean, yeah. that that extra bit at Old Andado, um, I mean, it was it was probably not needed, but I'm glad I had it. So. Um, I think that doing the fuel stops that we did, so we filled up in Birdsville, we filled the um, we filled the drums up in Birdsville, then we topped up in Old Andado, then we on the Hay River track we we um, we met up with Emu and topped up again, and then we you know topped up at 
old Endota. So, I mean, that whole, and those days and that, I mean, we, we ran a pretty tight ship and, I mean, I was, I was exhausted before we even started, but Chris was able to carry, carry the can to say, and, you know, we got up every morning and we just did the hard yards during the day and, you know, set up camp every night and we got through it. I mean, it was, it was. Well, it was that's, a, that's what it was. It was great camping eight, well, more than eight days, but camping the entire way across the desert, of course, and on both ends was really incredible, especially in some of the places you, none of us had ever been. Uh, maybe Ian and, uh, you know, John had been, but it was quite the adventure, quite, quite a, an escapade, shall I say. And I think we all came through unscathed because of, you know, it was good planning out, out of the gates so that we knew what we were doing. And Between then we, that. we had what? One, one sat phone or two sat phones and yeah. then a couple of trackers. I think Tracy was tracking three different GPS units. She was our eye in the sky as we crossed the continent. Actually, I, w I was on four different trackers if you count your find my friends thing. Which happened to be the most accurate. I was really worried about Ben, as I had said in our last episode, where all of a sudden he's out there. He hasn't moved. I go hit refresh and he's in Brisbane. And I'm like, what the <laughs> what? <laughs> How'd that happen? <laughs> and then, you know, like six hours later, he's back with the group. And it's like, not going to ask any questions. No, no, just, just go with it. For all of the, the folks listening, if you're watching the um, our uh, video uh, uh, on this, awesome. But for the folks listening, uh, to give you an idea, if you want to follow on, like, look, pull it up on one of your maps. Uh, we went from from Cape Iron, which is uh, near Brisbane on the east coast, all the way to Birdsville, which is like the edge of the Simpson Desert, and then we took uh, what they call the QAA line. East or West, excuse me, get backwards here. It's Southern Hemisphere stuff. Like, figure out where the sun rises every time. Like, wait a minute, where's West? Um, and so that, that's the line that most people actually take. So I, you know, lots of people go across the Simpson Desert, you know, every year and they do the French line or the QAA. Um, but very, nobody, in fact, it hasn't been done to the best of my knowledge since 1969 is the seven slot line, which is kind of a name that we came up with because we liked, you know, we thought it was appropriate, but it basically goes from a place called Beachcomber and just shoots, uh, you know, shoots an azimuth west straight to uh, Old Andado Station. Um, so if you're finding those on your map, going up to a place called Beachcomber, and you're going to need a good map because it's not like a resort. There's nothing there. It's like an old... Uh, <laughs> Well, there's a, there's a pipe sticking out of the ground. Yeah, yeah. 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 With a little plaque, and that's it. No services, folks. Yeah. No services. The um, other, f the other feature that we uh, went through when we went beach came and we went due west was to the geographical centre of Australia of the Simpson Desert, which there is a tower there. So if you're looking at your map, find beach Kamer, go due west to be to the geographical centre of the Simpson Desert. Just be careful you don't select. The geographical centre of Australia, because it is Lambert's, it is a different point altogether. But they're not all that far apart, and then due west, then to Old Endado. So it's it's very much in a in a straight line from Beachcomber to Old Endado via the geographical centre of the Simpson Desert. I think in in my mapping, 
versus what you guys were talking about, you know, in your uh, haze and, and dust and dirt induced comas from lack of sleep. I think we ended up being roughly 8.9 kilometers off of what I mapped versus what you guys drove. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's about right. That that was a heck of a feat. And and where we did drive also, we did have special permission to be completely, totally off the tracks to cross some of the land, some indigenous lands and everything else. So that's uh, everybody's uh, been and some of his contacts took care of that. So. Oh, yeah, that so was actually Vaughn. The, Joe Blow can't do that. <laughs> yeah, Vaughn, had, um, Vaughn was able to secure that through um, some family contacts and other people that he'd, he'd met. So that was that was one of the things that we had to secure right up front, and that's something right. that we were able to do. So that that was that was probably one of the easier easier things, even though it's, it's hard for people to normally do. Um, but, yeah, as far as going back to planning for two seconds, Chris and I nutted out quite a bit of stuff at um, EJS that year. So we'd, um, we'd spent a bit of time, you know, putting together a list then and, and thrashed out a few things there. So for people listening, that's Easter, and then we were, we were leaving in, you know, basically the 1st of July. <laughs> Mm. Came yeah, together. It was quick. Yeah, that's right. Hi, Ben. You, you flew over and uh, we drove out for an Easter Jeep safari and crashed in a little 12 by 12 cabin for, you know, 10 days, basically. <laughs> and I mean, that was in between the photo shoots, Chris. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. And that's a hectic week. <laughs> but it was so. a good, it was an excellent um, time to really like, just brainstorm on, you know, how we were going to put this thing together between, um, you know, reaching out to our, you know, what became our corporate par- partners and who the team was going to be. Um, you mentioned it before, but we had, um, of course, so I mentioned the media side of it. Uh, I, you know, big thing for me on this was not only the completion of it and honoring Ian and John and, and hit their team, making sure that the world knew what they did and then doing that by putting out as much media as we could. So, you know, Rick, you were the first guy that I called. Um, and then I called Sue Mead, our good friend Sue Mead. She's in the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame, was a pioneering journalist. Rick, Rick, you're also a Hall of Famer. And, um, Thank and, you. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I reached out to BF Goodrich, who was a huge, huge uh, part of this as far as their support. And I asked him, it's like, who do you know? You know, let's look at some of the global markets. I said, what's important and who do you know that absolutely can put it out? And that was Justin. So we've basically brought in three international journalists for it. Um, And this is some of the things that Ben and I talked about, you know, that we talked about on the, you know, East Jeep Safari that year. And we're like, man, this has got to be coming together like right now. (laughs) It's, yeah, exciting. While while eating Maverick hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I think getting the media along on this trip was important because that's what makes the sponsors believe in you. Uh, have a seasoned journalist and know what they're doing and produce just like, I mean, social media was extremely important to any modern company, which is what Tracy did was promoting all of that from the, during the entire trip. And I, looking in retrospect, I think we more than over delivered and, Lots of people knew about this trip because of that, and that's what's important. Unlike 
unfortunately, than the first one. However, if the first one had been the first trip in 69 had been successfully marketed, there may have been other trips since then, and we would not have had this opportunity to go on this epic adventure. So, and I think, uh, Lon, one thing you said as a boy, you wanted to visit the geographical center of the Simpson Desert. I did, yes. You got to do it because of this. 60 years later. (laughs) Well, (laughs) better late than never. Late than never. (laughs) Exactly. one thing we didn't mention about the uh, the trip that the uh, originals did was that they actually made a film of it um, and mm-hmm. called uh, Jumpy Land of uh, Spinifex. It's a 16 mil fi- um, film. It runs for about, um, I think, 120 minutes or something like that. Um, Ian and John have actually given me that original film. It's here now, and uh, I sent it to Canada, and Derek Redmond has digitised it. Uh, so it's now safe, uh, and that there, and at one, at at, at a, some point in time, we, we will probably make it um, available. But uh, Ian and John did put certain conditions on it while they were alive. So yes. speaking of the um, that film, yeah, I mean, I would love to. I'm sure our listeners would love to see that. Um, mm-hmm. so, I, I foresee a, a Ganjeevan movie night. <laughs> uh, good oh. movie night. Yeah. That would be um, awesome. I, I can send you a small clip to so, one of you if, if that's of any help. Yeah, if, oh, if maybe we can. Uh, if, is it something somebody could find on YouTube or on a social no, media? Or no, I've got it here. Derek's probably got it, but uh, I could send it over by we transferred. It's Derek just took a small clip to give a of uh-huh. one of the overlanders crossing some sand dunes just to, just to give people a taste of it. Uh, I can send that to anyone of you. Just put your head, whoever wants it. I'll send it to you. You can, you can do what you like with that. But yeah, that would, that would be unfortunately, crazy. I can't spare. I can't share the full film yet. Well, that's okay. okay. And you know, that's one thing about uh, Derek Redman was another member of our trip. He runs the CJ3B page, and uh, if you want to know anything about CJ3B Jeeps, <laughs> which I just got one yesterday. Uh, he's he's go-to guy. He's a technical guy, so uh, I'll be talking to him even even more in the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I still have a major thirst for knowledge over this trip. I I kind of came in after the fact, so I was learning as it was going on, and it it's very fascinating to me, and I I want to know more. I'll send the clip to you, Tracy, and then you can do what you like with it. I'll sit here and watch it and not share with anybody. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was put together yeah, totally pretty. Uh, the, the film itself was put together by John Eggleston, uh-huh. but the clip was taken by Derek Redmond after he tidied up and saved me two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he had he had an ability to digitize it. So yeah. uh, I think that's mm-hmm. what was really important. Mm-hmm. So overall, I I think that that, that gives. Uh, you viewers out there, a taste of what the East-West trip was all about. It was an incredible trip. Uh, ben, you got any closing comments? Well, we're not going to close just yet. I'm going to jump in here. I'm going to be really rude. And those listening, the, what we're going to get ready to get into here is something that's going to drive you to go to our YouTube channel and watch because... Chris has put together a little snippet of the trip and, and I've watched it and 
I want to be there. Even even though there are things in that desert that will kill me, I still want to go. So Chris, <laughs> <if> like <laughs> every poisonous snake. Yeah, Try Chris, it. if you want to take over with this set, would be awesome. Uh, so during the entire trip, you know, myself and Ben and Justin and Stu, everybody basically we were running around like chickens with a head cut off with cameras and video cameras and drones flying in the air. And um, we did a um, we did a, a short introduction. Uh, it's about nine and a half minutes. Um, and it just give people kind of a general overview of, of the trip from 1969 and kind of the theme of the desert. And um, we're going to get into that I'm, for the audio viewer or listeners. Um, we're going to be back with you in just a minute. So hang in there. But I'm going to do a screen share and show all of our YouTube viewers and the team here. Just a little quick video and we'll go from there. That bring it back any memories, guys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ben looks exhausted all over again. Uh, there you go. Now, one I thing that wanted... I noticed was watching the, uh, Ian and John driving and remembering yeah. what they said about, oh, my gosh, this is entirely different with <laughs> these vehicles with these big tires and big motors. And they use sand ladders during their whole trip, practically where I think we brought ours out the max tracks a few times, a few times we really need to needed to. And a few times it was just, you know, experience and see how they see how well they work. But yeah, they really were shocked how much easier it was. They, they had to use sand dune ladders, uh, especially in the early times with the full load of fuel and water, they had to ladder up two out of every three dune. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, and we had maybe three, four dunes out of a hundred that we needed them. I don't know. I mean, we, you know, I mean, I come on, Rick. We did, you know, each of us got stuck. That's just the reality of things. It's oh just, yeah, got a lot of big sand, and we're pushing the needle, pushing the RPMs, trying to get over this stuff. And there's places where it's like, you know, again, sanding driving. So you either got to know when you can turn out, and if you can't turn out, you're gonna have to back out of it. If you know, so lots of time we're just pushing the needle, trying to get over the top, and you know, buried we got, and we're calling on the radio. <laughs> yeah, and, and we were really fortunate to have uh, Warren, because we used the winches more often than not. Yeah, yeah. And, and airing down the BFG tires and the Max tracks and Factor 55 stuff, it was incredible how much we had to use that stuff compared to, you know, your regular regular little trip down to the beach or whatever that most four-wheelers do. This, this was something where we needed that equipment on hand, because it was there's some treacherous train. Yeah, I think the hardest once. Sorry, Ben, go ahead. I think the hardest balance though was we didn't get a heap of footage of it because we just needed to make that make that time. That that schedule was was so hard. On it was brutal. Like it it really did. So you'll never see much footage of anything purely and simply because we were we were right. in there, hands getting dirty and you know. Um, and trying to keep the convoy going. So it was sort of that whole thing of, well, you guys are already over the June. You guys keep going, just keep going, and we'll deal with this here. And, you know, we had quite a few of those sort of moments. And, you know, um, and you get – and the thing is you get stuck because someone would be up on top of the June and they hadn't kept going and you were already making your way up. And, you know, there were those little things that we, we had to sort out early on and uh, we, we got through it. It was never – a there was never a, a harsh word or a harsh moment 
that we didn't work through and that, you know, it was, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was. And we did, you know, we had lost a little bit of time um, with the vehicle that went down. So, you know, we, yeah, we just had to overcome the obstacles. And, and again, I'm going to jump back into Vaughn's comments and what Dean and John did is our obstacles were pretty minor compared to you know what they could have been in, you know, 50 years ago. Um, you know, whatever that was. And, you know, the equipment, whether it's your know, modern recovery equipment, you know, max tracks, good worn winches and factor 55 stuff. It's like, it's there, you know, that stuff has become really easy to use compared to say we all, I mean, we had synthetic line. So, you know, back in the day, a steel cable and those sand ladders they were using much heavier than the max tracks that we were using and the tires that they were cool. using were on what type, what type of tires did they, what size tires did they have? They were tall, narrow. Standard seven fifty sixteen Dunlop road track majors. Right. Yeah. And we They're were standard using skinny old Jeep tires. Yeah, exactly yeah. what you'd use around the farm for for to be robust. And that and that's what was available. No, but it really it really was. Yeah, I mean that's what it was available. Um, yeah, so, if you went down and bought a jeep from the factory, those were the tires that come with it. Simple yeah. as that. Yeah. yeah, and you wonder what air pressure they ran. That yeah. uh, I don't think we ever discussed that, other than lower than what they came with. Whereas, of course, we had. Uh, we had our tires down to a reasonable amount. We didn't, we had some with the locks. I don't think we all did, but, uh, you know, there, there was no 30 pounds of air in these tires. Yeah. The, um, and, Ian uh, said they did, we were using some of the tires that, actually, sorry, Bond, go ahead. No, no, sorry. Ian did tell me that they run the pressures as low as they could, but given the loads they had on, they were very limited as what they could do, especially on the back. But, uh, he seemed to indicate to me that they were in the high teens, but not over 20. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I, have, I have a question. Who's ready to go do it again? Me. Sign me up. <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Well, I have, I have got a CJ6 pickup from a friend that he gave me that's basically – it's a 1970, but it's pretty identical to one of the ones that was in the trip. So, so what you need to do with that is take a modern three six and put it in it, and modern suspension, and then you just go right across everything. Hmm. So, Ben, you know, we did an east west. Should it be like a north south? <laughs> definitely, definitely north south is on the cards. I have spoken to quite a few sponsors. There are quite a few companies that basically hassled me straight after the trip at SEMA. Were like. I didn't know you guys were actually going to do it. And we're like, yeah, well, we did send, oh you, <laughs> we did send you the information. <laughs> so, uh, hey, guys, if you did the canning, you'd be doing a lot of north-south. Well, canning, canning's closed at the moment. Um, yeah, I don't know when they're reopening because I was talking to Dan Greck with his his trip, and, yeah, he can't do the canning. Mm -hmm. So let's let's wait till the uh, geopolitical situation is a little bit uh, mellowed out, and we don't have viruses running around, and countries being closed, and all that other stuff is bad enough. Before, where we had all the ecologically sensitive stuff telling us what to do, and now we have even more. So, uh, but yes, we can do a north south. That would be epic, Grace. I I I have two things. If I'm coming in as social media again. 
I'd like to know a little more ahead of time rather than (laughs) (laughs) than yeah then you guys are I think you just hit a skippy somewhere and had an issue and needed a social media person and two I, I I would really like to have a little bit less of a time zone difference I was say, wasn't one of your you things. Have to go with us, Trace. I I would love to do that. What was that, Ben? You said you said to me, never again in a different hemisphere. Exactly. Yeah, at least the same hemisphere. I I and would then, be uh, happy in New Zealand doing some fly fishing, and then go make a post or two, or scheduling posts, and go do some more fly fishing. But you know, going on the trip would be pretty epic too. I'm. I've been known to be a little handy with a camera. Well, Tracy, we were like super glad. I know like, you know, this thing came together so fast and, you know, you coming onto the, as our kind of social media manager, boots on the ground, I had this guy, I was like, it was super important for us. And uh, yeah, sorry about the short notice, but that's the way things go. My friend, sometimes oh, it, I, I, I'm good at on the fly situations. And I did find you a nice lake bed on, after you had, uh, made steep point you're on your way back to melbourne to go play in and get some more footage and i found you a nice camping spot over there by that old telegraph station and oh yeah that was awesome so what you one of the things a little bit of uh you know com- computer satellite imagery there just search around yeah. it's pretty cool and one thing that i loved of course was camping out every morning chris had a had a uh, um, a morning routine that he that he started out. You know, every morning was way too early. Okay, next time we're going to take our time, right? Uh, but Chris, what 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 did you pull off every single morning in the middle of nowhere? Well, I mean, you know, we had to get up and get rolling. So you know, I was usually up at. I'd let everybody know. I can remember, I'd let everybody know what time we were going to be wheels up. Um, but I would usually get up about five. Uh, get the, I'm a coffee addict, right? So yeah, got to get the fire going, get the coffee going. Um, and then when it was uh, time for everybody to get up, I'd crank on uh, Amazing Grace on my, on the JL stereo with the doors open. And it was at about, I don't know, decibel wise, it was loud enough to get everybody's attention. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It just echoed across the desert. But- that, that was one of my fun moments of the, each day. But was it Amazing Grace on the bagpipes? It was yep. the bagpipes. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that was the cool part. <laughs> See, what, what people don't realize is in the desert, there's no bird life. There's no sound at all. Like there is nothing. You, you, you've you got. It, yeah. Well, no, once we got into that middle, middle section, it was, they were even pretty limited. But yeah, there was, it was, it was just, there's nothing. You, you, you. Because there's no water, there's no life out there, so it's it's really quiet. So when Chris was cranking that, you, yeah, that's all you could hear. <laughs> and that was the um, you said bagpipes, but that was the Royal Scots, um, Royal Scots Dragon Bite Bagpipe Band. I love that song. Anyway, that was my way to welcome everybody into the the morning. Well, then I'm going to share something with you that I put on my Facebook page last night. Two hundred bagpipers playing Amazing Grace, and it's amazing. That wow. is amazing. You going to share that with us now, Trace? No, I'm going to send it to you in Messenger, <laughs> okay. and All right. I, I won't force my musical preferences on everybody. Yeah, 
Well, well, as a guy who wears a kilt all the time, I'm fine with bagpipes. Yeah. All right, so so we better probably wrap this up. I was just thinking, Liam, you've been you've been nice and quiet there. You have any questions about this entire trip that you should have been on, but you didn't know about it? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know about it and was take your uh, YJ. Yeah, probably preoccupied somehow too. Who knows? YJ would totally make it. A little four cylinder. Uh, it gets up the dunes on the, the fifth or tenth try usually. So, no, I I'm just taking it all in, Rick. This is um, really amazing. I was I think that time two years ago I was probably just starting my new job, so I didn't even know this was going on. I was kind of on a social media blackout. A lot of big life changes happening, and um, man, it, hearing about this is so exciting. And yeah, I mean, if there's another trip someday or something similar. Sign me up. Let's go. That sounds awesome. It sounds like a good time. Mine's the spiders, though. I, I've heard stories. Oh, there's plenty of them. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> I, I have spiders and snakes. Yeah, I don't do... There's a song that I don't like spiders and snakes, snakes. but that ain't what it takes. Never mind. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I have a face for radio and a voice for print, so, you know. <laughs> we'll see what goes on. We'll see what Ben decides to come up with and uh i want to thank you definitely for popping in there vaughn and getting things organized ben all the way from the land down under and it's like you're next door isn't this technology amazing now if we could only get our jeeps right over there so we could go wheel with you tomorrow with our own stuff that'd be awesome let's also keep well, some it's already tomorrow there rains today. open that's already yeah, tomorrow I mean. yeah it's, it's but remember, cool. adventuring like this is probably one of the best parts of uh, of GP, in my opinion. Uh, the picture behind me, I was just as I painted my Jeep for the forty seventh time and was going on a uh, month long adventure. That's back in the seventies, so I love doing it. Intend to keep doing it. So everybody, thank you for joining us, Ben. Appreciate you taking the time. <clears throat> Excuse me, Liam, Greg. Thanks again, Chris. Thanks for doing all, all your hard work, and especially Tracy for keeping our, our eye in the sky on that trip. Well, and so I, I want to, well, I want to say thank you to Chris for uh, letting us put this adventure on, on the Gun Jeep and Show, and I want to thank Ben for being here, and especially Vaughn for keeping the history of the original trip alive to share with all of us, and hopefully in some way, shape, or form the people listening and the people that will be watching can share this with the next generations of Jeepers. And if I might jump in there, I just, I want to thank, um, thank everybody as well. Uh, you know, they always say that the common phrase, it's what seven steps to Kevin Bacon, but if Vaughn hadn't come up with this, uh, this conceptual idea um, and talked to, to Michael and then with Ben and myself, it's like, you know, if the year might've gone by, and Liam would never have been sitting here on this call going, oh, wow, that's pretty amazing. And we wouldn't have had that experience. So, man, take every opportunity to, you know, when you come up with a thought or an idea, I mean, just in life in general, just act on it, chase it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I want to thank Ben for being on the call, Vaughn, just for everything that you've done, um, and, you know, the whole team. It was awesome. Great experience. I was watching that video thinking, God dang, I want to go back. <laughs> yeah, that, that was good. Yeah, yeah. All right, and everybody. You know, yeah. Ganjeepin started with a sleep-deprived uh, thought and idea, and here we are. So, 
Thank you guys for joining us. It has been a pleasure and I, I look forward to much more. Awesome. All right. Everybody will say goodbye and don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And that's the end of Gun Jeepin' episode 12. Have a great day. Go Jeepin'. See everybody. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. On the next episode of the Gone Jeepin' Show, we'll have lockers before light bars where we will answer some of our fans' questions. Willie's versus Wrangler. Rick Payway faces off against the new guys, old school versus modern technology. And Trailside, where we will discuss some of our favorite trails and trips we'd like to take. Thanks for joining us on the Gone Jeepin' Show. We'll see you at the next episode. We're all Jeep all the time.